Shaga? Yeah. <laughs> Hi, this is Michelle Kanan, and you're listening to the Radically Selfish podcast. Radically Selfish is a movement. It's a personal revolution. And so I'm talking to women that have personally revolutionized their own lives and taken back the definition for what it means to be happy, healthy, and to do things their own way. Fuck what society tells you to do. You get to live the life that you want. On this episode, I'm talking to the legendary Dominique Echevarria. She's a huge force in the New York City underground party scene and a cultural figure for so many. She's a party promoter, a costumer, performance artist, and fashion muse. After relocating to Los Angeles to heal from a horrific accident, she found her calling as an intuitive healer, Reiki practitioner, shamanic healer, focusing on healing ancestral trauma. My name is Dominique Echevarria, and I started off working in New York as an underground fashion muse and artist and now I work as a intuitive healer with focus on Reiki and shamanic healing as well as well as um, healing ancestral trauma and in the art scene specifically I was known for performance art and costuming and um, did everything from gown installations at FIT Museum to designing costumes for drag queens uh, for RuPaul's Drag Race. So it was a very wide spectrum of craziness, goodness, lots of colorful, lots of colorful creatures. And um, just as I do in my healing, I always try to empower the person I'm working with, whether it be through, you know, costuming and bringing out their divine feminine energy or, you know, getting them grounded and centered so they can access their own healer. Amazing. Amazing. And so how did you move from the world of fashion and New York City nightlife into the spectrum of healing? Well, um, healing work runs in my family. My father is Puerto Rican, Guatemalan, Mayan, uh, and Mexican, and Basque. <laughs> and my mother is Choctaw Native and a little European mixed in there. And so um, I always had an interest to kind of go and learn and experiment with um, the old ways before my grandparents converted to um, be, being Catholic and, you know, raising, deciding to raise my parents that way. Um, but I got most seriously into it uh, about two years ago when I went to a psychiatrist and a therapist to kind of work through my trauma I was misdiagnosed and pressured to go on a mood stabilizer called Lamictal. Um, because I was misdiagnosed, I had a negative reaction to the medication, and it caused me to have a really intense manic episode. I threw myself in front of a subway train. Um, I had my arm and leg amputated, my entire body crushed, I uh, fractured my my ribs, my spine, my pelvis, my collarbone. I ruptured my lungs. I was bedridden for a month and a half. And as soon as I was taken off of the breathing tube and my IVs, I was locked uh, into the psychiatric unit of the hospital. And while I was there, 
about 15 days in, my uncle who suffered from schizophrenia, who had suffered a lifetime in and out of psych wards and um, with caretakers, uh, passed away under the care of a um, psych professional. So uh, I made a promise to myself that if I ever got out of the psych unit, that I was going to go the path of the healer, that I was going to heal myself, that I was going to heal my parents, and that I was going to um, help heal some of the ancestral trauma and karma that my family carried. Wow, that's that's major. I mean, to go through everything that you were going through just on a personal physical level and then to mm-hmm. add to that the weight of or the responsibility of healing your entire family too that's incredible how did you how were you able to 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 do all that i i needed to and you know my the more i tapped into my own intuition the more i felt like my spirit guides my ancestors my angels my arishas god universal energy whatever you want to call it helped me and supported me, um, I felt like I had no choice that um, the only way that I was going to heal myself, I had to kind of start from the beginning, you know, why was I the way that I was, what Mm. I I needed to evaluate all the trauma that brought me to that point of me throwing myself in front of the train, not just the medication, the medication, you know, brought me to the action but the anxiety and the trauma you know is something that I had suffered for a lifetime and so did my mother and so did her mother and it's not it wasn't just as simple as like oh it runs in the family it's like no it's there are there are psychological patterns that are repeating there is um, a history of abuse that's repeating, and I wanted to stop with my generation. I wanted to stop with me. And um, so uh, me healing myself and researching kind of like how I got to where I was, I had no choice, and I and I wanted to, and it was my privilege to um, research my ancestral trauma and try to heal it as well. Yeah, I, I think that's a really uh, interesting choice of words you're privileged to because, I mean, of course, you went through something horrific and just mm-hmm. in, incredible. I mean, but it, as a whole, like our generation, especially like living in America, we don't really have a lot of like it's not like we're going through war or that we're um like in a in a constant struggle of like I mean most of us honestly that's 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 a really privileged thing for me to say but a lot of us mm-hmm. do just feel very safe and just have like that kind of stability of like you know middle class like you can buy whatever you need at Walmart or anywhere that you go shopping so mm-hmm. it is really a privilege to decide like not just to be comfortable and to really do like a deeper level of of work and to make a change that our parents and past generations didn't have the privilege or the space or the safety or even the knowledge to go through. Exactly. It goes, um, I remember when I first heard about the term, the mother wound, Mm. it really sparked my interest. Um, The mother wound is that um, it's a term given to that pain and that, um, that connected trauma that children share with their mothers and, um, how it's 
kind of almost too sensitive to even speak upon because it's the idea that our mothers, yes, they did the best they could, but we still suffered. And the Mm -hmm. examination of, um, you know, why our mother or our mother figures chose to raise us the way they did and, and, and how their actions and how their trauma is handed down to us. And it's like, if we ignore that, then we're just kind of like, pushing the, you know, we're just like putting the monster back into the closet, but we're not really getting rid of it. And so I made a, you know, in the beginning, it wasn't very easy because, you know, my mom was, didn't want to hear about, my mom didn't want to talk about her trauma. She didn't want to, you know, they they didn't, she didn't want to talk about, um, our negative, uh, our intense past, um, of, mother and daughter her being a single mom you know she wanted to only focus on the good and only focus Mm -hmm. on that and I understand I I understood that I had I have the privilege of being in a safe home right now to where I can have time to read and research and find ways to help her psychologically emotionally physically um you know, to kind of like break the cycle. Mm. Yeah, I I feel like that's something a lot of people can relate to or understand that like in our generation, um, we're on a different kind of quest where maybe our parents' generation and older, and I mean, this is also coming from my experience. My parents are are refugees and I'm a first generation Mm -hmm. American where my parents' priorities were safety or, you know, finding yep. ways to make income or, like, how to, like, yeah. be American or, like, live in an American dream or that kind of society versus the things that I want are, like, okay, you know, I understand that they paved the way for that to happen for me, but now I want to go mm-hmm. deeper. Like, you know, my, my parents didn't have the chance, or especially my mom, too. She is not generally open to talking about a mother wound yeah. as well, right? But it's like, yeah. it's something that I had to learn too, that a lot of the sadness that I have a lot, it, it's not mine. Like it's something older than me or bigger mm-hmm. than me and it's yeah. transgenerational. And that yeah. that was a new concept for me. Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, if if you look at family dynamics as far as like um, like in a tribe, you know, we had our, we, back in the day, we would have our warriors, we had our medicine men, you know, we had our, we had our, um, our visionaries, our shamans, and, and, um, and I, I really see my parents as they were my warriors in my life. They weren't necessarily like the softest, most cuddly humans, but they had to be in order to survive and, mm. and have a foundation and provide for us, you know, and so, I just as much as I accept what it what it takes to be a warrior, um, they accept me being, you know, the healer of the family. They understand that I'm more sensitive. I'm a little bit more emotional and sometimes volatile. And it's, you know, it's because um, I'm so in tune and I'm so I feel people's energy so much. And so it's kind of now that I've kind of. um I've kind of articulated and illustrated uh, the dynamic within all of us. Um, I guess the easiest way to put it is me having compassion, you know, for the way that they are and Mm -hmm. them having compassion for the way that I am, you know. 
I think what you're referring to is, you know, is being an adult. I mean, yeah. so many of us, right, we, like, carry a wound from childhood of, like, what we didn't get from our parents. Like, as good of a job mm-hmm. as they tried to do or not. I mean, everyone mm-hmm. in any moment is doing the best that they can, really. So, but it's... Yeah. I think the process of becoming an adult, it's not like when you reach a certain age, now you're suddenly adulting. It's like taking responsibility and, A, giving yourself what you need that maybe your parents couldn't give you or nobody else could give you when you were growing Mm -hmm. up. And, B, also, like, coming out and saying, like, this is who I am and this is how I am and this is – I'm not – I can't change or I can't try to be something else, like, just really having your identity. And it goes so much deeper than, like, what your profession is or, or like, what your sexuality is. It's, like, Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's who and and how you are. Uh, So it's really beautiful to hear you talk about it like that, especially in in a tribal way. Well, before before I started doing healing work, my great grandmother, Diosa, that was her real name, uh, which means goddess in in English, and um, she was the she was the one that everyone went to to get insight and healing. She was the healer of our family. She was the seer of our family, and she passed away when I was in middle school, and um, you know. That was definitely too young for me to kind of step into that role, but I see the path that I'm taking as a way of honoring her and a way of um, kind of stepping into that role for for my family because it's needed. You know, I, I, I the reason why I wanted to focus on not only healing myself but healing my bloodline is because is because there's a healing emergency in my family. You know, there's a healing emergency all over the world, I think. Mm. There's this amazing TED Talk that my friend Gabriel sent me um, where this this, uh, this biologist or scientist, um, he who has a gay son, and he examined um, special uh, natural selection and evolution in ants as far as um, uh, coinciding with um, homosexuality that when an ant or a bee needs like a gatherer ant or a worker ant, the ant, the queen ant will give birth to a gatherer ant. The DNA will change um, its molecular structure to wow. be able to give birth to like what the tribe or the colony needs. And so he was talking about how a lot of healers and a lot of artists and a lot of queer to spirit people if you look at their family, they were created to be different because for survival for the bloodline. They're they're meant to be different so that they go off and they, they find out different answers and they, they question what they know and they go and they search for different experience and they bring that change and that and that wealth and that um, change the DNA inside of themselves. They bring that back to the family to help the family grow and evolve. And I really think, I really think there's a lot of truth in that. Um, I really feel that that way about my family. I feel like I was, I feel like I was meant to be born a weird, different person so that I had to go off and find, 
you know, my other families to, to learn from and to grow from so that I can help everybody. That is awesome. I mean, wow. I love, I love that you just brought that up because a, for all like the black sheep out there, (laughs) it's like total justification and it makes, it makes so much sense. Wow. I never, I never heard that before that, that like really landed inside of me and I feel really like, Oh, I get it. I get it. I get it. That's why why I don't belong, you know? And it's so funny. And then um, recently I I just finished reading women who run with wolves and there is a, Oh my God. It's uh, every page. I'm like, Oh my God, this is me. But um, there's the story of the ugly, the ugly duckling in there and how, um, you know, and then she kind of goes in and examines the story of the, the ugly duckling archetype and, and it, it's the same thing. It's, you know, you're born into, um, it's a different type of, like, it feels like you're born into the wrong family or a different kind of family and, and then you're sent on a voyage kind of to like find who you are and find yourself, you know? Um, wow. You know, in that, way it really shifts you know because it it could feel like such a burden to have to heal like your entire bloodline or it could feel like something so I mean just like a huge responsibility but when it becomes so naturally just part like that what what it sounds like you're saying is that just becoming more of who you are or like really evolving and growing into like who you were meant to be you're just naturally doing that anyway it's like the more you can stand for yourself and stand in your power and not you know try to people please or like you know I I don't know what it's like in your culture but in my culture you know it's like to be an engineer to be a doctor and if you don't do those things and like you're disappointing your family but like the more that you can stand to be who you know that you were meant to be or or not just to go down that pre uh, described route would bring that kind of natural evolution and healing and like expansion to, to that structure. Right. Yes, definitely. Like I, I come like all of the women in my family are on both sides are, um, are very different from, are always different and disconnected from where they come from. And it's always, um, uh, and it's funny because, like, even my my great grandfather, like, I don't know, like, I don't know who he is on my father's side. Like, my my great grandmother had my grandfather out of wedlock. She was a witch. She was a gypsy, and uh, you know, and she's like every single woman in my family has is is who is me. Like, I'm the same. Like, they're they're born different, and they go out and they seek alternative truths, and they they seek alternative healing and they, they question the, the people they're around and they're forced to change and evolve. And I, I think that's why I'm such a survivor is because it's in my blood. Like all of the women have had to flee and run from the men that they were connected to or um, the community that they were connected to. It's so, it's, it's, it's so familiar in a way, but um I'm I'm changing I'm I'm kind of changing the you know the I'm changing it to being an honor rather than a burden. That's that's beautiful. That's uh and that's really important to do. I mean because it's it's not 
it's not any different. It's just a difference in perspective. It's not like yeah. the work is different. It's just what's the energy mm-hmm. that you bring to it. And also the fact yeah. that you're you're doing it for yourself. It's not that you're doing it for your family. Like yeah, and, and yeah, and this is so. This, I, I, I like that we got to this point because, you know, this podcast is called Radically Selfish and a lot of what I talk about is bringing selfishness back or like reclaiming that word from something like negative or something that means that you take away from other people, yeah. but it's like how your own growth and how filling your own well and how taking care of yourself actually has this kind of ripple effect out into the world and teaches other people and helps to change their lives too yeah well I really had to learn how to be selfish this year every teacher I met every elder I met every healer I met they all would say the same thing to me you need to learn how to say no you need to learn boundaries you need to learn when to recharge you can't just heal every single person you meet you can't just you know and um even before I started become you know doing healing work like if I was on the subway, if someone was sitting next to me, they immediately wanted to start talking to me. Like, I've always been, I've always had, like, a sign on my forehead that was, like, need help, come to me. And so, um, my, uh, so I had to learn how to be selfish so that I could learn how to protect my energy because, um, otherwise, I mean, because when I got out of the hospital, I, I, I had nothing to give. I I literally I only had I only have one arm. I only have one leg. I was stuck in a wheelchair. Like I was um, detoxing from medication. I I couldn't make sure that everyone felt okay with with my suicide attempt. And I had to cut everyone off. And I had to recharge. I even. I even had to cut my mother off for a little while because I needed to ground myself and strengthen myself before I could handle her emotional turmoil. You know, when you decide to kill yourself, you don't think you're going to have to answer to everybody afterwards. Yeah, that's very true. (laughs) So, uh, so I had to, I had to learn how to be selfish so that I could learn how to heal. Wow, I I'm really taking that in. I I I'm I'm usually pretty good at having something next to say, but I just really want to sit with that for a minute. There's a lot that there's a lot that you said there that's really new yeah. to me. Yeah. You know, it's and I had to learn how to be present with myself, you know, mm. because um sometimes we think that uh that Sometimes I find myself extending myself more than I'm able to to help people mm-hmm. because I'm actually trying to distract myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like same, just like when people become workaholics, it's just another way to distract yourself from being present. And I really think that's the hardest thing to do is to learn how to be present with yourself, you know. The inability to be present leads to addiction, it leads to anxiety, it leads to depression, it leads to abusive behavior, it it leads to to disease. And that's kind of my way of uh, doing healing work is I believe that everybody knows what's best for themselves. And I really am just meant to act as a vessel and to connect everyone to be their own healer. 
you know, I don't have, I, I only have so many energetic tentacles that I can extend and reach out <laughs> to people at one time. Like, I don't want reoccurring clients. I want, I want you to, like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to have to see somebody once a week. I want them to be strong enough until the next month where they can see me again. Sure, at the beginning, like, you know, I need to work on people a little bit more closely and a little bit more attentively, but, um, I really think that there is so much power and strength in, in learning how to heal yourself. And how do you learn how to heal yourself? You have to force yourself to be present. You have mm. to be selfish. You have to tell everyone to leave you the fuck alone so that mm. you can have a moment to yourself. I remember when I was starting to, like, really lose my mind from the medication. My I was living with my boyfriend, and, my, and I would be crying. I'd be freaking out and having, like, a manic episode or, like, just, you know, the medication just would do all kinds of crazy shit to me. And I would remember he would try to, um, he would try to calm me down and try to make me feel better. And I would, I would be like, get away from me so that I could have my own mind to myself. I know you're trying to help me, but let me have my mind to myself right now. Because, um, sometimes, having to reassure your partner that to that you're okay so that you can like so that you can be in your own mind is very exhausting you know yeah so yeah and I hear I hear the parallel too of what you were saying um that after your suicide you had to be accountable or sorry excuse me your suicide attempt you had to be accountable to other people and sort of reassure them or make them feel okay, even though you were the one that went through this crazy experience with yourself mm-hmm. on so many different levels. Um, and it's, it's true. Like what you're talking about is, is putting up a boundary. Like a lot of, a lot of people don't, well, we don't learn how to make boundaries, right? That's not part of the education that we get. And yeah. and we're all taught, especially as women, um, that, yeah. you know, it's not nice to say no or to take mm-hmm. up less space or to, you know, yeah. make other people around us comfortable instead of, like, doing yeah. what we need to do for ourselves. So, you know, when we talk about it in this way, being an individual that learns how to say no or how to stand for herself or how to make those boundaries, like, it just elevates and escalates to many different levels. Like I find this a very political thing, like to learn yeah. how to say no and also how to teach others how to say no too. Yeah. I had to really work on my communication to so that I could learn how to set up boundaries because ignoring people also doesn't feel good because mm. then you just feel like an asshole. So I really was forced to be like, I do want to talk to you, but my body's in so much pain that I'm shaking. So can I call you back next week? And I don't like admitting when I'm tired or in pain to people. It's, I don't, I I connect that with weakness, you know, and and for for me personally, like, oh, I, I, my, my energy is weak right now because I don't have it, you know, and it's like, well, I'm a human being and, and and I need rest and you know it's it's necessary for my survival and being a disabled person like I have to have I have to constantly 
focus on my energy levels because it's exhausting having to like throw on a metal leg and run and run around or push myself in a wheelchair on my down yeah. days, you know. So I, I I'm gonna ask you a question and you you tell me if it's totally off base, but yeah, well, what I hear you saying is that it's it's like you can't ignore it anymore, right? Like you went through yeah. this huge transition. I have like no choice, you're, yeah. Right. And so do you find that in a way it became a blessing? Because I know, like, when I hear you saying that you can't ignore it, I just think of all the people out there that that's what they do every day. Like, they ignore their pain or they ignore their exhaustion or they ignore, like, what they really need and they just, like, power through or, like, just, you know, go until they totally burn out. Like, and it's almost like you don't have the luxury to do that, but it sounds so, it sounds so much better in a way that you don't have the luxury to do that. And I don't know if I'm asking you in the right way, but yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah. I totally understand what you're saying. It definitely, it's before when it was like, you know, I was like queen of nightlife and all glossy and all that. It's like, you know, everyone couldn't understand, well, why can't I keep pulling from you? Why can't I keep taking from you? I I don't understand. Like I, you're so shiny. Why, Why not? You know, and like now it it is it it's it is a weird blessing that I can be like my body hurts and and people don't have to there's no questioning it, you know, it's like, okay, of course her body hurts. She, you know, has a she has scoliosis and a twisted spine and then recovering from a fractured pelvis and a torn meniscus in her knee and one arm and one leg and she does energy work every day. Okay. I'm going to trust that she is tired today or in pain, you know. God, I, I wish to like yeah. I wish people could do that for everyone, right? It's like so many yeah. wounds that we're all carrying on the inside or exhaustion that we're all carrying and it's like people it's like with mental illness, right? Like you can't see it so people don't believe that you have it or they don't think that something's really wrong, you know? People because of the way that I dress and because I am an attractive woman and when I'm walking down the street or on the subway or something, like a lot of times people only will like stare at my face or will stare stare at what I'm wearing and they won't notice I'm disabled. So they'll, you know, brush by me and they won't hold open the door for me or I'll get on the subway and I'll, I'll like, you know, where the, the handicapped seats are and I'll ask, you know, a man, I'll be like, oh, can I sit down? I only have one leg. And they'll be like, I don't believe you. And I'll have to literally no. lift up my dress and show them my prosthetic leg and they'll wow. be like, oh, I'm so sorry. And it's like, yeah, and then sit down. I mean, I um, I was with my friend. The parking attendant was writing us a ticket because they didn't see that I was actually handicapped. They thought we were just, like, faking it. And, and again, I had to lift up my dress and show that, I only had one leg and, you know, lift up and push my sleeve back and show that I only have one arm. Wow. But it, it's, you know, it's, it is, it's kind of crazy. Like no one ever believe. it's like the people who know me do, but a lot of times people, that, but that goes back to being present. Like I usually notice when there's something up with someone, you know, someone's disabled or something, so I'm an observant person. I'm present with the people that come in front of me. I'm present with the people I talk to every day, you know. When people come in contact with me, sometimes they're not present, so that's why they don't see the obvious, you know. A giant metal hook arm. (laughs) (laughs) 
Wow, that's so interesting. I mean, yeah, so many people are just so, well, either they're so in the zone of, like, getting through their day or, like, getting through Uh a moment that they're not present at all or, you know, they're doing such a good job of not feeling what's around them or feeling who's around them that they can't even, like, tap into that you know they're not even yeah. like open to to feel that you know something I, I do with my clients um in the beginning of the work or when I you know first start working with people is we don't we don't realize like how routine or like systematized we make everything like how often we just don't pay attention and we're just like checked out so one of my mm-hmm. favorite assignments I give them is um teaching telling them to brush their teeth with their other hand and yeah. it's so it's so amazing because like when you brush your teeth you just don't think about it. It's so routine and you just like do it and then it's done. Like it's not like a mentally challenging activity, but mm-hmm. once you like change that, you know, use your other hand or even if like how you put shampoo or soap on in the shower or how you dry yeah. your body after the shower, it's just yeah. like such a your mind just systematizes things and just like mm-hmm. makes them like habit and we totally check out and it's and it's this mindfulness practice that you can do of like all right how do I like tap into how do I feel like what's there like how do I just really be present in these moments when just like life is happening and I'm not even a part of it that's why I love DBT therapy um it's dialectical behavioral therapy it's uh developed in the 1980s by this psychiatrist and therapist teaching their patients mindfulness and how to be present with themselves. Um, Why aren't they teaching them skills? So um, it's a form of therapy that is very hands-on and action-based, and it um, it, it teaches you healthy coping mechanisms. And um, one of the healthy coping mechanisms is, you know, mindfulness, and they they have you practice mindfully brushing your teeth, mindfully making dinner, like sitting there chopping the vegetables, cooking the vegetables, and eating. I remember when I first started DPT therapy, the idea of eating a meal from beginning to end in silence seemed so unattainable and, like, <laughs> not possible because it was so hard for me to be present. Like, I could not, I couldn't do it. I had to be on my phone. I had to be listening to music. Like, even if it was for 10 minutes, I I could not be present with myself. I Yes, it's, it's amazing. That's a challenge I've been giving myself is just, like, not having my cell phone nearby. You mm-hmm. know, just, like, Oh, I put it, it in a drawer. I let my phone die. People get pissed. People be like, <laughs> oh, I've been texting you all day. And I'm like... Well, do you want me to be <laughs> present when I talk to you? Or do you want me to be distracted and just be like, uh huh, uh huh, uh huh, and not really be listening to you at all? You know, you know it's, such, you want. <laughs> it's such a cultural thing. Like when I was living in Berlin, nobody, like, you know how in, in, well, in New York at least, when you sit down, like, at a restaurant, like, people just take out their phones and put them on the table next to them. Like, mm-hmm. in in Berlin, that would just be, like, the rudest thing. Like, or if you were hanging oh, out yeah, with people, yeah. you just wouldn't take out your phone, you know? It's just like, no, I'm here to spend I time yell with at you now. I all the time. I yell at my friends all the time. Like, my mom, my friends, I'm like, if you are with me, you are not allowed to be on your phone. <laughs> <laughs> like, I want all your attention. Yeah, I mean, this is such a great thing to bring up. Like, a lot of people 
don't know what a mindfulness practice could be or they think that it's meditation or it's like taking a separate time out of your day to cultivate that, but you can easily be mindful in your day. I mean, that's that's part of it, right? Yeah, definitely. Even if it's like, you know, taking the subway and not listening to your headphones for a, for like part of the ride, sitting, paying attention to how the seat below you is supporting your weight, all the sounds around you, the smells of the subway, all the different people and things that you see, the taste in your mouth, the temperature of your skin. I always like to walk people through their senses before I begin a healing session, just to bring them back in your bo- their body and taking a deep breath and being like, oh, yeah. I have all these senses that I am not even paying attention to. My body, I'm on autopilot right now, you know, and that's that causes a lot of disease in the mind when you are constantly escaping and distracting yourself. So, I mean, from that note, how I, I know that your life has changed, obviously, in so many ways um, since uh, your suicide attempt. One of them was that you moved to Los Angeles. Is that right? Yeah, um, I've been, I'm bi-coastal now, spending most of my time in L.A., and also I still have my place in um, in Brooklyn, and um, uh, yeah, I've been spending a lot of time here working with my Reiki master and with my shaman, and spending a lot of time at the ocean and um, getting grounded, because I'm actually planning a um I run a healing site universalmother.love um mm-hmm. it's kind of a it was my response to the lack of information and resources that were online like um like there's all these amazing astrology sites now and 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 witch sites and alternative healing sites now but when I first had my accident, my accident, uh, and I was like, okay, I need to find a shaman, I need to find a healer, I need to find a healer. I did not. There were not that information was not really accessible. It was kind of word of mouth, um, and so, um, and like what books to read and what vitamins to take and you know what happens to your body and what happens to your hormone levels when you're detoxing from medication and. And what do I do when I feel like I want to die, but I don't want to tell anyone, but I need a little bit of inspiration. So Mm. I created an online resource with a list of healers, a wisdom page with books, articles, YouTube videos, um, a healthy coping mechanisms page talking about mindfulness and giving examples of um, simple mindfulness activities and um, uh, healthy coping mechanisms and different playlists curated by some of my favorite DJs in New York. Um, I was like, if curate a playlist for someone that's freaking the fuck out and like can't function, create a playlist for them to help them get out of their mind. Wow. Um, so I had different DJs, um, do that for us. And, um, so I, so I started gathering healers that I know and, and healers that I worked with. Kind of like <laughs> I always say, I'm like a doctor or Professor Xavier gathering X-Men. <laughs> that's probably how you feel, right? <laughs> that's probably how you feel sometimes at the uh, at City Wellness. Um, and I'm organizing a tour. I've been flying around myself doing healing work, but I'm 
I'm, I need backup because I'm only one person. And so I'm, I'm, um, organizing a tour with my shaman and my Reiki master and all of the healers that healed me and put me back together. And so if they were all, if they were able to hold space for a crazy ass bitch who (laughs) literally lost half of her body and like had no, no desire to live at all, I feel like uh, they can help the average person, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you, put, you put them through the test, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If they can handle me and hold space for my pain, then for the average, like, icky back and, you know, seasonal depression, I feel like they'll do one day. Um, but, uh, you know, found it very accessible in New York and the Midwest and, you know, uh, healing and indigenous uh, medicine men aren't as accessible. And so I, and, and the ones that are accessible usually are like these white, pristine cis males that are kind of capitalizing and profiting off of sacred medicine. And so as a multiracial, disabled um female healer i really want to help bring women and indigenous people to the forefront of this quote unquote wellness movement that's taking place and um you know i i was like oh god i wish there was a place where you know you could go and they had reiki masters and shamans and healers and then i met you and i was like oh thank god someone's <laughs> doing it we need more of it we need yeah you know, we need because- more we need to filter out the people that aren't actually doing the work. They just want to attach themselves to the popularity and the trend of it all, you know? That's right. That's right. Yeah, I'm really, it's it's great to, it's great to hear. I mean, that's the best way, right, to find like a healer or to work with somebody is because you know someone that they worked with or on or like they changed mm-hmm. that person's life. You like, want to trust. Because healing work should be a safe space, you know. It shouldn't be a place where you, it, you shouldn't go to a healer and then have your boundaries crossed. That's not how it should be ever. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it, it's such a, I mean, this is like a whole other conversation, right? Because it's so yeah. personal and energy. It's like you can't quantify that and there's no rules for it too, you know. And so what mm-hmm. works for one person doesn't necessarily work for another person. And what one person believes, another person might not believe or like an energetic exchange between two people might be very Definitely. different, you know. And so it's such a... Totally. It's such a, a nebulous thing. But, yeah, I guess, the, of course, the most important thing is how you feel. And then, again, I think it's back to what you're talking about is being present. So even checking in with yourself, like, does this feel right for me? Like, is this yeah. person's energy good for me? Like, do I believe? And instead of, like, just wanting something so bad or, like, desperately mm-hmm. relying on something outside of you to make things different, it's like, how can you, again, connect with your inner wisdom and your inner yeah. healer and then partner with somebody to, like, take you yeah. through the journey? It's just like finding a good psychiatrist or a good therapist, you know, like I, it took me a really long time before I found a psychiatrist that was, that looked at me and she was like, oh, no, you were misdiagnosed. You should have never been on medication. Let's get mm. you weaned off this medication. I, I believe in your healing techniques. Like I believe in what you're doing and the less, let let me support this um this path of healing that you want to take 
you yeah, know, like, like not every not every psych yeah not every psychiatrist is like that. You have to find exactly. You have to you have to bond and with you know your healer. You that's you need to be present and trust your intuition. Is this the right person for me? I had someone who's an amazing, powerful shaman friend of mine who has healed so many people, travels around the world, has like so many more years of experience than me, and who has like completely changed the lives of um, some of my best friends to, in such an astonishingly positive way that um, when we worked together, I really didn't feel much at all <laughs> and like that. And it was really weird because I was like, what the fuck? Like I should be feeling like all the good, good right now. Like, you know, you and I combined, like what the fuck is going on? But you know, me and that person are just meant to be friends. They're not meant mm-hmm. to be my healer. So, um, and, 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 uh, one of my Reiki master, for instance, she's younger than me. I would have never in a million years chosen a teacher that was younger than me. I would have never thought that. And I met her in like kind of a darker setting, like the, the lights were dim and, I couldn't really tell how old she was. I thought maybe she was, like, a little bit older than me, and it wasn't until, like, I scheduled an appointment with her and she showed up at my house, and I saw her during the daylight, and I was like, oh, my God, you're a child. What what am I going to learn? What the hell am I going to learn from you? And then she laid me down, and my first session was, like, I, I experienced astral projection. I felt huge shifts. Um, it was, was so incredibly powerful and she had only been doing it for a few years. And so you you really never know and you can't, you know, it's like, like my friend who is, um, my friend Rebecca Rose, who's also helps me with Universal Mother, you know, I was kind of being an ignorant brat talking about, um, she had suggested a male healer for me. And I was like, well, rah, 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 and I don't want any man touching me and da, 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 da. And she was like, she was like, I'm surprised out of all people that you would say that because who's to say that he wasn't a divine feminine healer in his past life. You don't know. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, fine. You're right. So I had to kind of let go of, um, of, uh, you know, the ignorance and being judgmental. But that all is attached to the ego, you know? Yeah, and what you're saying, just letting go and and being surprised and not knowing how it's going to work out and not knowing where the lesson is going to come from, but knowing that it's coming, I think that's so much a part of it is just is the curiosity of it, you know? Like, we do get attached to the outcome or we do get attached to, like, where we think – how we think that it should be or, or where we think that we should go. And we're, and it's so easy for us to like miss out on the journey or all the opportunities or all the signs that are around all the time. If you just check in. Yeah, it's true. It's like, I wish that I could tell my eight year old self that magic is real and that all (laughs) the signs, that all the signs and the visual hints and the, and the magic that, like, I was seeing when I was younger, that was all real. And, like, pay attention to it and hold on to it. And don't try to distract yourself from it, you know, because you need it. That was that was my note from, you know, like, Tut's note from the universe. Do you get those in your email? That was... No. 
Oh, you should definitely check it out. We'll put a link up on the show page along with some other stuff. But it's these, like, awesome inspirational emails from the universe. <laughs> and mine oh, my from God. The, mine from the universe today was, what if there really was a Santa Claus, an Easter bunny, or a God who picked and chose among those whose prayers he or she answered, who got to decide who was ready for what, and who judged those that he or she would either save or damn. I know, I know, everyone could spend the rest of their lives hoping, wishing, and asking instead of doing, being, and having. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I, love I think that. I think it's so much, again, back to being present. And that's like a lesson mm-hmm. that I struggle with and that I constantly am learning and refining over and over is like the cheesy expression of being a human uh, being and not a human doing. Yes, it's true. We got into it for kind of a long time. So tune in next week for part two of my interview with Dominique Echevarria.